Now, they may not have been, but we are on a mission from God. And let's never forget that. I want to start with a question this morning. I want you to be honest. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I do want you to be honest with yourself. Here's the question. Do you believe that one person can make a difference in the world? Do you really believe that one person can make a difference in the world? Now, let's bring it in and let's get a little more personal. Do you believe that you can make a difference in the world? That you can make a difference in the world? And it's a pretty big world. And there are over 7 billion people in the world. So do you really believe that little old you can really make a difference in the world? I read a story several years back about this man and his wife who decided to take a vacation at the beach. So they got a hotel room right there on the beach looking over the beach. And while they were there, a violent storm came through. The waves were crashing, the lightning was flashing, the wind was blowing. And and the next morning, the man got up early and he wanted to walk on the beach and see what damage the storm had done. And while he was walking on the beach, he was shocked because all over the beach were thousands and thousands of starfish all over the beach. And this man knew that when the sun came up, these starfish would dry out and they would die unless they were thrown back in the ocean. Kept on walking and and there in a distance, he saw this young boy who was doing something and as he got closer, he realized what he was doing. This young boy was picking up starfish one at a time and throwing them into the ocean. When he got closer, he he yelled at the, the young boy and said, Hey, why are you doing that? Look how many starfish there are. You're never going to make a difference. The little boy looked at the man. Then he reached down. He picked up another starfish And he threw it in the ocean. And then he looked at the man and he smiled. And he said, I made a difference for that one. The man sat there for a second. And then he started bending down and picking up starfish. Last week, we began to look at some big, crazy, audacious goals that I shared with you that God has laid on my heart. Some things that I believe with every ounce of being within me, that God wants us to accomplish over the next 10 months. And these are big things. The first one was this one. I believe that God wants us to average 1,800 in worship at our two campuses by the end of this year in 10 months. Now that's a good bit more than we're presently averaging. So that would be a God thing. God would have to work in us and through us for us to accomplish this goal. But I'm happy to report that last week, over 200 of you committed as families to do all within your power to reach one family by the end of this year. 200 families committed to reach one family by the end of this year. Now here's the deal. If we do that, if those 200 families do that, we will have reached our goal. 
That's crazy, isn't it? Let's give God a hand. Man, thank you for stepping up. And here's the deal. If you weren't here last week and you didn't commit with us, it's not too late. It's not too late for you to get in on what we believe God's going to do. But today, the goal that we're going to look at um, is a little more personal. It's a little more difficult. To be honest with you, it really will take us out of our comfort zone because the goal I'm going to talk to you about today moves us out of the recruiting office onto the front lines. You see, when it comes to in interceding for people in prayer, inviting them to church, investing in building relationships with them to get them in church, that, that's kind of like the recruiting office. But what I'm going to talk to you about today is front-line stuff. I mean, it's difficult. And that's why most people don't do it. But here's what I know. If we commit to do it, then I believe with all my heart, we will be positioning ourselves to be in the center of God's will to the point that God will pour out His blessings on us. Now, here's the goal. Over the next 10 months, we as a church will see 250 people come to faith in Christ and be baptized. Over the next 10 months. Now, here's the thing. We've never baptized 200 in a year. We've come close, but we've never even baptized 200, and yet... I'm telling you right here that I believe that God wants us over the next 10 months to baptize 250 people. I'm sweating just saying that to you. But I really do believe that God wants us to do that. And I'm going to tell you how I believe God's going to accomplish it this morning. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And, and while you're finding that passage, I want to give you a little bit of backstory. The story we're going to look at today is about a man named Philip. Philip was an ordinary guy. He was a layman. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. He was just a layman. We don't know what he did as a living, but we do know he was a layman. And when God began to move in the church in Jerusalem and they saw thousands of people come to faith in Christ, Philip was a part of it. He was involved. He was willing to do whatever he was called to do. And, and when the early church decided that they needed deacons, they needed people who would come together to care for the body, which is what the deacons did. They met the physical and, and the, the emotional needs of the body. Philip was one of those guys. So here's Philip. He's an ordinary guy, nothing special. He was called to be a deacon to help care for the needs of the church, and he met that need. Later on, the church began to be persecuted, and when the church was persecuted, the church, the people in the church were spread all over the region. Everybody but the apostles, the Bible says, were spread throughout the region, and Philip ended up in Samaria. And when Philip ended up in Samaria, he did what any Christian should do. He began to tell people about Jesus. I mean, he wasn't anything special. It wasn't that he was gifted in evangelism or anything. He just had had a life-changing experience with Jesus. Jesus was his hope. And he wanted everybody else to have that hope. 
And so he began to tell people about Jesus, and, and God just began to move. And in Samaria, a ton of people came to faith in Christ. Lives were changed. People began to get healed. I mean, it was crazy. The power of God was moving in an explosive way. And in the midst of this, you can't describe it any other way other than a supernatural revival. In the midst of this supernatural revival, God told Philip, leave Samaria and go out into the desert. The desert? God, you're doing a great work here. People are being saved, people are being healed, lives are being changed, people are being delivered, and you're telling me to go out in the desert. But he went. And when he went, he met a man who came to faith. And here's the thing you need to know. That man who came to faith, church history tells us, took the gospel to his country. And his country was changed. So here's Philip. He went into the desert, did what God told him to do, shared the gospel with one man. That one man comes to faith in Christ, and an entire nation is transformed. Some say that that nation was the first Christian nation. One man reaching one person. An entire nation was changed. So how does it happen? How does God work in the life of one person to change the world? I want to give you five things. Here's the first thing. You've got to be available. If you're going to be used by God, you have to be available. Listen to what it says in verses 26 and 27. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go over to the road that runs from Jerusalem to the Gaza desert. So he did. Don't miss that. God told him to go. So he did. He went. And that phrase right there, that phrase could be used to describe Philip's life. When God told Philip to do something, Philip responded immediately. He went obediently, without hesitation. He didn't argue. He didn't make excuses. He just did what God told him to do. Whenever there was a need, he was willing to meet that need. The church needed a deacon. He was willing to be a deacon. Samaria needed someone to talk about Jesus. He talked about Jesus. Someone needed to go into the desert. He went in the desert. Later on, we see that God called him somewhere else, and he went somewhere else. Everywhere God called him to go, he went without hesitation. Here's what I know. If God is going to ever use us in an incredible way, we have to be available. But unfortunately, people like Philip are a rare breed today, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. Uh, th this is a statistic I've read in the past. It comes from a book by Roland Level. The book is entitled Evangelism, Christ's Imperative Commission. And this is what he says in this book. Listen to it. 95% of church members never win a single person to Jesus. Did you hear that? 95% of church members never win a single person to Jesus. 95%. Now let me ask you a question. 
And the answer is yes. So let me go ahead and give you the, the answer in advance. Does the Great Commission apply to every Christian? The answer is yes. The Great Commission is go into the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've told you. So the Great Commission applies to every Christian. What is the answer? Yes. So every Christian is to go into their world to make disciples, win people to Jesus, and then see those people baptized. What is the answer? The answer is yes. Every Christian is supposed to do that. But statistics reveal that only 95 or only 5% of Christians do that. 95% of us don't. We never do. So what does that mean? It means we're being disobedient, doesn't it? It means that we're not available, doesn't it? You see, the number one reason that most people never lead anyone to Jesus is not because they're not gifted. It's not because they don't have the ability. It's not because they aren't called. It's because they aren't willing. They aren't available. How many times has the Holy Spirit urged you, prompted you to share with someone and you haven't? Now, some of you are going to say, well, I've never sensed the Holy Spirit urging me to share. And can I tell you why? You see, if you're going to sense the Holy Spirit urging you, prompting you to do something, you've got to be walking in obedience to that point. If you're not walking in obedience up to that point, then the Holy Spirit certainly isn't going to urge you to do something else. Does that make sense? And so if you've never been prompted or urged by the Holy Spirit to tell someone about Jesus, the reason is, is you're not obedient back here. So God's not going to tell you to do something up here until you get it right back here. But if you're walking in obedience, the Holy Spirit is going to urge you. Now, can I be honest with you without losing my job? More times than not, the Holy Spirit has urged me, and I've said no. I've said no more often than I've said yes. It's just a fact. I, I'll be somewhere walking. I'll be sitting somewhere in a restaurant. I'll be working out. At the gym, I, variety of places, variety of circumstances, and, and, and the Holy Spirit will lay on my heart. Just strike up a conversation. I go, Lord, I'm working out. Lord, I'm in the middle of the appetizer and it's really good. Lord, I'm, I'm too busy getting from point A to point B to take time to strike up a conversation here. And the truth of the matter is that I, I haven't been available. And I think that if you're honest, not with me, but with God, you would have to say that more often than not, you haven't been available. You see, if God's going to use us to reach the world, we have to be available. Second thing, we have to be on the lookout for divine encounters. Now listen to what it says next, verses 27 and following. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. 
The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over, walk alongside the carriage. Now some of you are probably asking, what is a divine encounter? What, what is a divine appointment? And let me give you a definition. This is my definition. A divine encounter is a meeting that is planned in heaven, but it's played out here on earth. Did you get that? A divine encounter is a meeting that is planned in heaven. God has worked out the details of this meeting, but the meeting is played out on earth. Now, I'm convinced that if we are available every week and maybe even every day, God will place people in our path who are willing to take a step toward Jesus. Did you hear me? Every week. Maybe even every day if we are available, God will place people in our path who are ready to take a step toward Jesus. Those are divine encounters. And the question we have to ask is this, are we looking for those divine encounters? Because to find them, we have to take the initiative. We have to knock on the door. We have to initiate conversations. We have to make the first move. You see, some of you were saying, well, if it's a divine encounter, then this is the way it should happen. I'm sitting in Starbucks doing my devotional. I've got my Bible open. And someone comes up and said, hey, I notice you've got a Bible. I've always wanted to become a Christian, but I've never had anybody to talk to. Will you tell me how to get saved? Now, can I tell you, that's never happened to me. If it's happened to you, that's like fish jumping in the boat. It most often doesn't happen that way. Or, or you're walking down the road and someone runs up behind you and says, Hey, I noticed you're wearing one of those Northside shirts. That's a Christian shirt. Will you tell me how to get saved? It's not going to happen that way. You've got to take the initiative. You've got to be looking for these divine encounters. It's all a matter of perspective. I heard about this salesman who was sent to a tropical island to sell shoes. And after two weeks, he called a plane back to the corporate offices and he went to the corporate office and he said, man, I can't sell shoes there. Nobody wears shoes on that island. So they sent another salesman there. In two weeks, he didn't catch a plane to come back. He emailed the corporate office, you need to send me another load of shoes. Nobody wears shoes here. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. Some people look and say, nobody wears shoes here. Nobody wants to wear shoes. Another person looks and says, nobody wears shoes here. Everybody needs shoes. It's all a matter of perspective. Everywhere around us, we will find people who are ready to take steps toward Jesus. Last week you heard that 80% that of our population in our area is effectively unchurched on Sunday morning. They don't go to church. And what you're probably thinking is this. Well, since they don't go to church, they're not interested in spiritual things. But that's not true. A recent statistic revealed that 78% of those surveyed were willing to have spiritual conversations about Jesus. 
78%. And here's the crazy thing. People that were 18 to 29, the number went up to 89%. Those crazy millennials, they don't believe anything. They don't have any values. 89% of people 18 to 29 are willing to have spiritual conversations with us if we will only start the conversation. We have to look for those divine encounters. People aren't going to knock on our door. That's not how it happens. But as we begin to knock on their door, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but as we begin to build those relationships, we will discover God may be at work here. And so we start to ask questions. We start to have a conversation. And we discover, wow, God is at work here. And so we look for that fertile soil and we plant seeds and let God work. Look for those divine encounters. Third thing, ask good questions. Verse 30, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. I love this. Philip hears him reading from the book of Isaiah, and he asks a simple question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I understand unless someone helps me understand? Can you come up here and help me understand? All of that happened because Philip asked a question. You see, what I've discovered is the best way for you and I to move from secular conversations to spiritual conversations is to simply ask questions. I mean, we talk to people, don't we? We talk to people every day. Um, I'd like a caramel macchiato. We talk to people in the coffee shop. We, we talk to people as we're paying for our stuff at Target or at Walmart. We, we talk to the cashier by, behind the register. We, we do that. We carry on conversations with people we know and with complete strangers. So how do we move those secular, everyday conversations to spiritual conversations? The primary way is to simply ask questions. And the way that we know what questions to ask is we listen to what they're saying. And we listen to what they're doing. You see, active listening, good listening, requires that we not only listen with our ears, we listen with our eyes. We, we hear what someone's saying, but we also watch what someone is doing, how someone is responding, how they are interacting. We observe the surrounding to see what they like and what they dislike. So that as we begin to move the conversation from the secular, everyday life to the spiritual, eternal things, we can ask questions that are good questions. And so you see, when we're wanting to move this conversation from everyday life, how's the family, how's the kids, saw the fishing rod there, you like fishing, how's fishing, where's the best place to fish, and you're talking about those things. As you're watching and observing and listening, 
You hear things going on in their life where you can move it from the secular to the spiritual. That's what Philip did, right? Heard him reading. I mean, that was a softball thrown at him, but it was a good one, wasn't it? And then he responded with the right question. Do you understand? I I know that story. He said, how am I going to understand what I'm reading unless somebody explains it to me? Do you understand it? Can you come up here and explain it to me? Philip hopped up there. Now let me give you a couple of questions. And these are just questions that can help you jump that final transition. You can ask a question like this. Have you ever given much thought to spiritual things? I mean, that's not offensive, is it? Should somebody get offended with you asking that question? You ever given much thought to spiritual things? I mean, most people believe that we're going to live forever somewhere. Do you agree? The overwhelming majority of people believe that when we die, we continue to exist. People just have different views of where we go and how we get there. And so as you're talking and you're talking about things and you're moving to talk about eternity, you can ask the question, in your opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? Another question you can ask as you're talking and someone says that they hate their job or, man, they got a terrible boss or whatever else like that. And, you know, I know you've heard that before. Our, our staff at Northside say that all the time. I mean, <laughs> but, but when you're having those conversations like that, you can say things like, well, have you ever given much thought to the purpose of life, why we're here? Why, why do you think we're here? You see, you can come up with your own questions to try to make that transition from the secular to the spiritual. So ask good questions. But then once you ask those questions and it leads you to that place, you got to then focus on Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 32. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Did you get that? Here he is reading from the prophet Isaiah and from that scripture... Philip began to tell him about Jesus. He focused on Jesus. I want to let you in on a little secret. The purpose of the Bible is not to teach us science. It's not to teach us history. It's not to help us form our political perspective. The purpose of the Bible is to present us Jesus from start to finish because Jesus alone is the one who can restore what we lost at the fall. And so from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is the story of Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we don't get sidetracked when we're talking to people about spiritual things. Because I can tell you right now that the devil is going to want to help you chase the rabbit. The devil is going to try to help you fall into the ditch. He's going to help you get sidetracked. Because he doesn't want you to get to Jesus. And so if you get caught up in trying to argue about creationism versus evolution, you're not going to win. If if you get into a debate about whether miracles happen, you're not going to win. 
Your purpose is to always bring the conversation back to Jesus because Jesus alone can change a person's life. And I want to let you in on another little secret. It's the gospel that is the power of God to save. The gospel, the story of Jesus. It is the gospel that convicts the heart. It is the gospel that changes the mind. It is the gospel that transforms a life. We've got to focus on Jesus. Now, as you make the commitment to partner with us to reach your one, understand we're not going to leave you alone. We're going to train you, disciple you, walk with you, equip you. We're going to do all of that. But can I just tell you what the story of the Bible is from cover to cover in about three minutes? It's simple. You see, here's the story of the Bible. God's plan from the beginning was that we have a relationship with him. God created us for relationship. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God created us in his image, in his likeness. God created you to be a part of his family. That's why you were made. God created you to live with him forever, forever as a part of his very own family. That's why you're here. But we got a problem. We've messed it up. Our ancestors blew it. The very first man, the very first woman were told by God that you can do anything. You can go anywhere, but there's one thing you can't do. You can't eat from this one tree. If you do, you will die. And guess what? That first man, that first woman, they did the one thing God told them not to do. And they messed up everything. When they did what God told them not to do, shame came into their life. They were separated from God because they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. Messed up everything. And you and I are separated from God today because our ancestors made a decision that separated us from God. And you and I are born with that same instinct to rebel against God. But here's the good news. In the very beginning, when we sinned against God, God already had prepared a plan to restore us. And that plan was Jesus. In Genesis 3, we see the promise. We see the promise that one is coming that one day is going to restore everything and make everything right. That one is Jesus. And Jesus can make everything right. That's why Jesus came. And so what do we need to do? We need to admit that we're sinners like Adam and Eve. We need to believe that Jesus is our only hope. And we need to commit our life to him. And when we do... He will restore what was lost. That's the gospel. That's the power of God to save. And anybody can share that story. You can share it better than that. You can share it different than that. But that's the story that changes lives. And you and I need to focus on Jesus. And then there's a final thing we need to do. We need to call for a decision. Notice what it says in verse 36 and following. So they rode along. And then they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? You can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, if you're following along in your Bible as I read that, some of you are probably saying, Wait a second. My Bible doesn't have that middle section there. What's going on? Well, the truth of the matter is that middle verse there, it isn't found in some of the oldest manuscripts. And so if you look at the bottom of the page, there's a footnote that says that. 
I believe that that verse is supposed to be in there. And the reason I believe it's supposed to be in there is because the passage really doesn't make sense without that verse being in there. And so here's Philip. He has shared the gospel. He and the Ethiopian are riding down and they see the water. And the Ethiopian says, hey, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? How did he know about baptism? Philip had told him. And Philip said, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you can. And he said, I believe. And right then, right there, they stopped the chariot. They went down into the water and Philip baptized him. The Bible goes on to say that the Ethiopian left there rejoicing. Church history, church tradition tells us that that Ethiopian went to Ethiopia, shared the gospel, and the people of Ethiopia responded. The neat thing is, Ethiopia in that day wasn't just modern-day Ethiopia. It included the southern part of Egypt, and it included the nation of Sudan. What that means... Listen, this is so cool. The people group that we have adopted to reach, this guy, he was probably one of them. And he took the gospel to his people. And his people became the first Christian nation. And the gospel spread during those first several centuries all over Africa changing lives what about Philip well Philip continued to share the gospel everywhere he went to the point that we're told in Acts 21 I believe it is that Philip was later on known as the evangelist Philip the evangelist why did he become known as the evangelist because everywhere he went he told people about Jesus he was looking for divine encounters whether it was in Samaria or in the desert or on and the road to Azotus or in the villages, wherever he went, he told people about Jesus. And shouldn't we do that? Be telling everybody about Jesus everywhere we go? Now, here's where we're at right now. We're coming to a point of decision. And there are one of three commitments that I want to ask every one of you to make. Some of you may make all three today. But everybody should make one the truth is look at me for a second you can leave here without making a commitment but if you do something's not right something's not right now here's the three commitments commitment number one is I'm making a commitment to believe in Jesus you like the Ethiopian have never given your life to Jesus and today you realize you need to do that and today you're going to do that that's commitment number one Commitment number two is to be baptized. You, like the Ethiopian who now believed, wants to be baptized. They want to make that public profession of their faith. And, and if you are a believer and you never have been baptized by immersion, that's what you need to do. The Bible commands us to do that. And, and you need to take that step, that commitment today. But here's the third commitment. That commitment is to partner with us in reaching our community by reaching one person by the end of this year. You're making a commitment to learn how to share the gospel and share the gospel and lead one person to Jesus and see them baptized like the Ethiopian was in 10 months. Now can I just say, there's enough people who are far from God 
and Lexington and West Columbia and Irmo and Casey and wherever you live, if it's not one of those, for every one of us to reach one person. Would you agree? We're just going to have to start enough conversations. Open enough doors. Ask enough questions. And when we do, we're going to find a willing heart. And that's something that every one of us who love Jesus should make a commitment to do. So what is the commitment you need to make? Is it to believe in Jesus? Is it to be baptized? Or is it to take the message to our community and win one person to Jesus this year? I want you to take your connection card out. Because on that connection card, you can register every one of those commitments. Commitment one, today I'm praying to become a follower of Jesus. Commitment two, today I see my need to get baptized. Commitment three, at the bottom of that card on the right-hand side, I'm committing with God's help to lead one person to Jesus and see them baptized. I'm asking you to make a commitment with me to be obedient to God so that God can work. So let me ask you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus and today you're willing to make that commitment, let me ask you if you will join me in praying this prayer right now to God. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've disobeyed you. So sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. I believe you died for me. Today I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Take control. From this point on, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer.